Shavua Tov, Shalom Aleichem, to all of you listeners of this great station. This is Rabbi Elbaz from SLC. I'm going to be speaking about the parasha we read yesterday, Parashat Bo. Parashat Bo starts with the eighth plague, the plague of Arbe, locusts. Millions of locusts will invade Egypt and eat up all the grass and of the land and all the fruit of the tree throughout the entire country. I don't know if you ever experienced uh, this, something like uh, locusts coming into your area, but I did. And when I was a child back in Morocco, sometimes we had locusts coming in. And you won't believe this. We're talking about millions of locusts all over the place. They come on top of your head and over your body. They don't harm anything. They, they, there's no harm to them as far as, far as uh, physically speaking. But they, they are devastating. They eat up every single thing there is in that area where they are. Now, and this is what happened in... Uh, in Egypt, was even worse. We're talking about uh, locusts that actually are so much in the sky that even the sun, you couldn't see it anymore. It was actually it, it was dark somewhat because of the millions and millions of locusts. It was really a devastating kind of plague. But what's interesting about this plague is the Torah says, so that you may relate, okay, tell the story of this plague, of this plague, to your son and your grandson, Ulman Tesaper et Asher how I amused myself with Egypt. How a Baruch who made a mockery of Egypt. Now, you can ask a very simple question here. Why is it that only in this plague of locusts, Hashem is telling us to relate the story of, to our son and grandson? It doesn't say that about Barad. It doesn't say about Kenim. It doesn't say about Dam. Only this particular one. Must be something unique about this plague. Actually, there is. If you look in the Ramban, you'll see that he brings, he writes in the name of Rabbi Hananel that unlike the other plagues, this one is still noticeable today. What does that mean? For example, in the case of the frogs, when Hashem removed them, it says, In other words, the frogs that were in Egypt, and on land there, they were all gone. But they were still left around the river. That's fine. They were left. But when Hashem finally removed the plague of locusts, it was different. The Pasuk says, not a single locust remained in the land of Egypt. And Rashi says, even those locusts that the people took, put in the fridge or whatever, they were frying them or boiling them to eat, they were gone. And here the Rambam says, 
that not a single locust remained in Egypt means never. No locust can ever go into Egypt. No locust can cause any damage to their crop. Locusts may go into neighboring countries, even in Israel, but not cause any devastation to Egypt. Even if they walk in, even if they go and come in, they were not going to cause any harm to Egypt. This is why we can tell our children, you see, this plague is still in force today. Because when Hashem said, no more locusts in Egypt, that's exactly what happened. No more. And that's why it says, This is something that can be actually verified nowadays. But there's a question that remains here. Why was Egypt entitled to such a blessing? Why should Egypt be exempt from any locusts in its land after all the harm they did to the Bnei Israel? Well, perhaps we can understand this by looking at the mitzvah of the Pidyonabe. Why is a firstborn sanctified? Why is a Bechor considered Kadosh? Kadishliko Bechor. Why? Well, because when Hashem was eliminating the firstborn of the Egyptians, but it had a Hamanut on the firstborn of the Bnei Israel. He skipped over there. That was a great miracle. Hashem could discern, Hashem could easily differentiate between the firstborn Egyptians and those of the Bnei Israel. And the Egyptians saw this and understood the greatness and the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But you may ask, what did the Bnei Israel firstborn do to deserve such a miracle? Did the Bechorim do anything to deserve such a miracle? Did they participate actively in the miracle? The answer is not. They didn't. They were just sitting there in their homes. They did not actively, actively participate in the miracle. However, because the miracle came about through them, that was enough to deserve to be sanctified. The miracle came because of that. Let me give you an example. Another example. The Gemara says that the great Talmidei Hachamim and great teachers of she, she, the, name, the name is Shimayan of Talion, they were descendants of the Assyrian king Sanherib. Who was this king Sanherib? And was he going, what, what did he do? He brought in 185,000 soldiers and put a siege around Yerushalayim. His intention was to destroy Yerushalayim, massacre the people. That was his intention. But Hashem made a miracle. On the night before the invasion, he sent an angel and killed his entire army of 185,000 soldiers. Now, what did Sanherib do to deserve such great sages as Shemaya and Naphtalion? The answer is nothing. But through him, there was a great miracle. 
And that's enough to get some reward. Similarly, through the Egyptians, many miracles and wonders were performed by the Almighty. And that was enough for them to have this kind of a reward of no more locusts in their country. And that's why Here's another interesting question that Hazal asked about the Esther Makot, the ten plagues. In the Haggadah it says, Rabbi Huda Haya Noten Bahem Simani. Rabbi Huda was giving us some kind of sign how to group them, the simanim, how to group the makot. And he groups them like this, Detzach, Adash Be'ahav. Detzach, Dam, Sefariah, Kenim, and so on. Which means the first three, then the second three, and then fourth. Well, you may ask a question here. Why did he group them that way? It must be a reason. Why couldn't he, instead of three, three, and four, maybe three, four, and three? Maybe four, four, and two? Why specifically in that order? Well, there are many, many terutsim. But I'd like to bring one of them. Ramban says like this, at that time in Mitzrayim, there were three types of kofrim. Heretics, kofrim, kofrim, and non-believers, and atheists. And Hashem wanted to make sure to rebuke them, to show them how wrong they were. And perhaps they might repent, make teshuvah, and recognize the vast greatness of HaKadosh And these three categories were like this. There were those that said, Hashem does not exist. The world is just, has been there forever. It was old. It was no creator. Nothing. Just about there because it was always there. That's one category. There was another category. Those that say, oh, no, no, no. Of course Hashem exists. After all, you cannot have something moving like the earth, the moon, the stars, the galaxies without a mover. You cannot, you can't move a bicycle unless somebody is moving it. If the earth is moving around the sun, the moon around the earth, and everything is moving in space, got to be a mover. So they believe in Hashem. But he's up there. He's way up. And he has nothing to do with us down below. He has no control over the people over here. He may be there, but he doesn't control. That's the second category. Hashem is not in control, God forbid, with the people down below. There was a third category. All right, Hashem exists. He has some control. But he has no superpower. He cannot do anything unusual. He, 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 he's unable to perform any superhuman deed. Now, these are the three categories of people. And with these three groups, 
Hashem is addressing each one of them. To the first category, when the Torah introduces the first three plagues, Dam, Kini, Dam Tsefariah, Kenim, it says, Bezot Teda Ki Ani Hashem. With this, you're going to find out that you're going to know that I am Hashem. This is the first category that says, God forbid that God does not exist. It's a Bezot Teda Ki Ani Hashem. That's how it's introduced. The dumb Sephardian, they were done one on the Nile River. The river was the god of the Egyptians because it overflowed and irrigates their land, giving them food and sustenance. And Hashem is saying, you, you see, your God is defenseless. It's nothing. If I said let it be blood in the river, there will be blood in the river. When the Torah introduces a second category, then it says like this: within your people, not just up there. This is a second word that says, Oh, Hashem is only up there. No control down. No. We're talking about the Arov uh, Dever Shehin Arov. Wild animals, Hashem puts the wild animals within you. He controls them. Not only that, but Hashem makes sure there's a separation between the Bnei Israel and the Egyptians. Hashem is saying to that second ago, you think I only have control up in the heavens? Uh-uh. Down below. I can bring all these on you. And I can make only you and not the Bnei Israel. That is the second category. And the third one that says, okay, Hashem exists, Hashem controls here, but he has no real omnipotence, no superpower. Oh, what's the introduction to the last four, last four uh, makot? There's no God like, like myself. Only a Gadosh Baruch Hu can do certain things. I'm the all-powerful. Look at Barad. What's Barad? Fire and ice together. Only Hashem can do that. You know what that means? When you have hail, normally perhaps you have small little pellets. Here, there was boulders. And there was fire mixed with it. Somehow a Gadosh Baruch Hu made shalom between them. Only... Only Akadosh Baruch can do something like that. Hoshech, very, very unusual. This kind of Hoshech had mamashut. Can't happen. Only Hashem can do that. Makat bechorot. How can, who, who can decide exactly at what, at a particular time, a certain time, we're going to have a multitude of people dying at exactly at the same time. All the Bechorim of the Egyptians will be dying. Life and death is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch So those to that category that says Hashem is not a super God forbid, you say, well, I'm going to show you. 
למען תדע כי אין כמוני בכל הארץ. השם ברות דמכות, not only for the purpose of punishing the Egyptians, but also to teach a lesson to the Bnei Israel, to strengthen their emunah to the point where the Pasuk says, finally, after the Kriyat Yamsuv, it says, Vaya'aminu badonai obmoshe avdo. Yeah, we have to understand that this whole idea of Yitziat Mitzrayim and all these miracles, this is to implant in the mind and hearts of the Bnei Israel the power of Hashem. And when they come for seven weeks later, they come to Matan Torah. When they come to Matan Torah, Shavuot, they will accept the Torah. Of course, happily. After all, who's giving us the Torah? The creator of the world, the Bore Olam. They have no choice. They will accept it. Now, this is one of the things we should emphasize to our children. And grandchildren on Pesach night, while we are reciting the Seder, and we're sitting around the table, and you have your children there, and they're listening to you, a father or grandfather. Make sure when you tell them about the great miracles and the wonders of the Bore Olam, make sure to say it in such a way with such a tahavut, so that it will reinforce our faith in the Almighty, and teach our offspring to dedicate some of their time eventually to Torah study, observance of our mitzvot and our tradition. This, Be'ezat Hashem, will speed, will speed up the arrival of Mashiach Tzitkenu. Amen. Rabotai, remind you about this great station, please. Do whatever you can to help it. If you can make, make an effort to contribute. And if you have any simha, please call us at SLC. A, a beautifully uh, decorated uh, social hall. And we can accommodate any simha of yours. Shalom Aleichem. Shavuatov.